0: Okay, for our second message today, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele. It is entitled, Who Do We Believe? Thank you, Sean. Good afternoon. Even more people are here. It's really, really good. It's good to see those faces we haven't seen for a while. Some visitors. Good to see our visitors. And uh, we wish we could see everybody online, but um, uh, we're we're glad that you're able to tune in and join us. So true to form, I'm just going to keep asking the same question. What day is it? 28, that's right. I was having struggling with math this morning. I was like 28, 29, 28, 29, 27. No, it's 28. No, I'm pretty sure it's 28. 28 to what? Or 28 in a count of? To 50 to Pentecost. when we'll celebrate again the start of this movement, of this church that would, in due time, remember what it said? Turned the whole world upside down. And even though we might say, well, there's been a lot of corruption in the Christian church, there's been a lot of pagan things introduced into the Christian church, as we know. Nonetheless, what happened approximately 2,000 years ago changed the face of the world. Changed the history of the world in so many different ways. And of course, man's reaction to that has oftentimes been bad, but also it has been tremendously good. And each one of us is here because of that day and the days that preceded it. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus said, the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against his church that he established, and he established it through those first believers And so we celebrate, we look forward to that, we're in this this count to Pentecost. And I still think there's more to learn about this count, and why we count, and why we're supposed to count each day, specifically as we go forward towards that celebration. We count the days. But counting days and times and seasons, really, we've talked about this before, it isn't unique to the Christian church, is it? Humankind has done this. We've done this so that we can figure out when is the time to, to, to plant, when is the time to harvest, even if we weren't biblically based, even if we were a community that had never heard of the God of the Old Testament or the Bible. We still, as human beings, count days, and then we memorialize days, don't we? And we have all kinds of memorial days around the world, and some of the ones that are you know, around the world sounds so strange to our ears because it's like, well, we don't have something special about that day. For example, Guy Fawkes, that doesn't mean anything to anybody except Mark and I, right? Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot, is that how it goes? The day we remember that Parliament was not blown up and that constitutional democracy was able to continue and develop. Sounds so weird to somebody that never grew up celebrating that. Just like the 4th of July is a very odd day. Don't you think? But we memorialize days, we count days, we look forward to those days. We count down those days. We even do it personally, don't we? And then we get to a certain age and we try and forget that particular day. But we count the days. And we've been doing it throughout the millennia. And, you know, As you know, I'm a World War II buff, so I have to mention it. Do you know what yesterday was? V-E Day, Victory in Europe Day. And you know, that's probably starting to mean less and less, isn't it, as each year, as each decade moves on. In my mind, so often World War II seems like about 40 years ago, right? Because that was when I was of the age that I finally started to understand what World War II was about. was about 40 years after it had, it had ended or, or, or begun. It's 75 years ago, yesterday, that World War II ended. The most destructive and the most deadly war in human history. With estimates of up to 85 million people died as a result directly of the war or the famine, or the disease, or the murderous Nazi regime that came about during that whole thing. And, of course, the the many of the crimes, unfortunately, that the Japanese leadership did as well. But it is VE Day yesterday, the day when that war was finally over in Europe. And, you know, for us, it does seem like a foregone conclusion, doesn't it? We just Read in our history books from chapter to chapter. This happened, and then the Allies did this, and then America came into the war, and then they were able to conquer this, and so on. And It it just reads like all the movies we've ever seen, and we knew the end from the beginning. But for a time there, nobody knew the end from the beginning. Nobody knew how this was going to play out, and there was complete lack of, of any guarantee whatsoever. And in fact, from September 1939 to September, uh, no, September 1940 to September 1941, if Britain had lost that battle, the Battle of Britain, this world would be a radically different place than it is today. It was such a moment in history, amazing moments in history throughout that war, times when human civilization. Hung in the balance. But with sacrifice, with incredible effort, by perfect effort, or what, what did Churchill say? By perfect discipline. The Allies were able to, after six years of war, end that conflict. And at least the Western part of Europe could breathe as a result of all those efforts. But it's a strange irony, isn't it? That Europe is not breathing free right now. Because of the situation that we have with this this virus, the celebrations of VE Day didn't happen. Everybody is under lockdown. and I know some countries are starting to open up certain things, but there's a lot of restrictions still in place. What should have been celebrated with Spitfires and Hurricanes and Lancaster bombers flying over parades and, and celebrations, seventy-five years is a pretty, you know, significant time frame, isn't it? Because in another five, six, seven years, there probably won't be anybody alive in Europe that will truly remember what that was all about, what that was all like. So, none of those celebrations took place. The free peoples of Europe are not currently free. Many restrictions, as I said, many protocols separate people one from another. And we do. To lesser or greater extents, depending on what part of the country we're living in, we're still experiencing liberties curtailed and restricted in an effort to deal with the crisis. And not only do we have all of that, but I'm sure you've noticed that with these measures that we have in place, you know, we have the destruction of livelihoods, of course, the cohesiveness of community in the nation is breaking down. It's, it's really an interesting you know if we can look at it dispassionately it's a very interesting study in human nature isn't it of how people respond in crisis how people respond to whether they think it's government overreach or government not doing enough there's so many different perspectives and people are starting to argue and debate and fall out with one another and be angry and and attack one another for holding different opinions about what is going on and what should or should not be done. Setting friends, neighbors, and even family against one another. I'm sure you've seen streams of arguments on social media. You know that an an innocent post here turns into an explosion, I've talked about it before, of people that don't even know each other on two sides of the globe are yelling at one another. And there's hatred anger and bitterness in it regardless of what we think of the situation so with so much confusion so much uncertainty diametrically opposed opinions and arguments it's easy to find ourselves frozen and if you're like me I've kind of I've done a lot of research I've looked at the numbers I've looked at the statistics I've looked at the outcomes I've listened to doctors I've read newspaper articles online articles I've watched videos of differing sides and when I think I've kind of got it figured out somebody else comes out with something else you know well first it was you know I, I remember hearing something about well it, it deprives the blood of the body of oxygen okay but then somebody else is saying no it's more like cyanide poisoning which kind of is the same thing but then different which is it and Everybody disagrees or agrees among certain groups. And you either do or do not agree with the government. Or well, Who are we to believe? Who do we believe in all of this? It's not very simple, is it? And it kind of makes me wonder whether or not any of this happened at the start of World War II. You know, at the start of that crisis. Oh, yeah, the Germans are not really you know, they, they're trying to correct some things, and they're not really as bad as some in the media are trying to point out. Or, or worse, or No, know they're evil, or, or who knows? The humans still react the same way. But in these crisis situations, who are we to believe? Well, I think the answer is relatively simple. And maybe I'm looking at it a little simply. You know, we have fear. We have suffering. We have death. We have fear of the loss of loved ones. And what if our elderly parents or other relatives get this condition? And we have all of this fear. Who are we to believe? But we shouldn't be without hope. There is a word that we can believe. And there are people... That we can believe. There is a way forward. There's a way forward for those of us that call on the name of the Lord. As the scripture tells us. For all who are called by his name. The first belief that we should remind ourselves. And hold on to more perhaps now than at any other time. Is the promise that Jesus gave us in John chapter 14. We've read this passage so many times. John chapter 14 and verse 1. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You know, when we're in normal life, we get trouble. Right? We we do. We get difficulties, and maybe nobody else knows. But in this trouble, we know everyone is in it together. And we all respond and react to it, perhaps differently but we're all in the same kind of trouble in one way or another. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. But what does he mean by that? Don't be in terror. Don't be in terror. Don't be so overwhelmed with fear and trouble that it, it freezes us, it immobilizes us, and we don't know what to do. Don't be terrified. Don't let your heart or your fear terrorize us. Because fear does that, doesn't it? I have had fear at times in my life that just immobilize. Don't know what to do. And then oftentimes, you know, after we come out of that, we look back and we're like, I have completely misjudged that whole situation. It was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was but in the moment, it's debilitating. Don't be terrorized. You believe in God. Do we believe in God? Do you? Yes. Then believe in me, Jesus said. Believe in him. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, You would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. We know both of them. We know our Heavenly Father. We know Jesus Christ, our Savior. And like I said, this might feel a little simplistic when faced with this complicated virus situation and this pandemic. And yet it is critical, isn't it, that we believe this simple truth. Because on this promise hangs everything that we look for into the future. We should believe this more than the worst pandemic predictions, more than the most optimistic pandemic predictions. Because regardless of what happens, whether we get sick and then get over it, or whether we get sick and do not get over it, regardless there is a place prepared for us. For every single one of us. We are not going to be lost. We are not going to be just gone. We have this precious promise that there is a place for us in the house of God, in the kingdom of God. The most that this virus can do, and I'm not belittling it by any means, I have seen The videos of some of the nurses describing what's going on and it is heartbreaking and you cry with them as you watch those things but the the most the virus can do is take our life and that's it i always remember that one message that art gave i think it was art that gentleman that was traveling across the desert and he got surrounded by a bunch of Muslim guys, and he said, well, you can do whatever you want to me, but all you're going to do is hasten my transformation. Right? You're just going to quicken the process here. That is the most this virus can do. And then, we will live in a healthy world, a world without sickness, a world without pandemic, a world without us destroying the planet. A world where everybody lives in peace and in justice. This is the house of God, isn't it? This is our Father's house. And we don't need to be in terror or fear. And what will that look like? What will that world look like? In Psalm 91, in verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of Of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him. I will trust. And we can say that now. Can't we? He is our refuge. He is our fortress. And whatever happens. We can trust him. Who are we to believe? The most high. It is really that simple. We trust in him. We abide with him. In the secret place. Where is that secret place? Because we we do that now. We abide with him in the secret place. It is in our heart, isn't it? No one else is in our heart except us and Jesus and the Father. What did Jesus say? That they will make their abode with us. They will move in, move the furniture around, do some remodeling, Get rid of some of the junk that we've built up in our life. For sure, they make it a construction zone. But nobody else sees it. It's private. It's the secret place. I think that's what it's talking about here. We believe that he will dwell with us. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Interesting. Is that a gift? right now in, the, in a world where people are really worried and concerned God can deliver us from a perilous pestilence that's a promise that he gives us he will deliver us from the perilous pestilence but what does that mean well I take it to mean that whether the virus comes along and ends my life or not he will deliver me into the house he has prepared for me. He shall cover you, verse 4, with his feathers. Under Under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Like I said, there's just so much confusion about this situation that we're in. So much misinformation. It all seems like misinformation to me now. Who do we believe? Well, we can believe the ones who have never lied to us, who have only ever given us truth, and it shall be our shield and our buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you, Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. We're going to see the reward of the wicked, but with our eyes, not with our life, not with our experience. We do not choose that. But we will see what happens to the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now somebody might say, well, wait a second. This passage isn't about us. This is about Jesus. Well, yes, it is. And in fact, this scripture Satan quoted, didn't he? to Jesus while he was tempting him for 40 days in the wilderness trying to trip him up Well, do, doesn't the scripture say that he will lift you up so that your foot won't be dashed upon the rock and Jesus' response of course was get away from me, get behind me Satan you shall not tempt I think this is when he said you shall not tempt the Lord for God he rejected that manipulation Scripture, So yes, it is, of course, talking about Jesus. But we just read that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So if we follow him, this applies to us too. If we follow him, these protections come on us as well. We have been called to follow him and walk in his footsteps. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's a new... Um, kind of crowd-funded, I may have talked about this already, a new crowd-funded uh, Bible drama, as it were, uh, about the life of Jesus and the disciples. It's called The Chosen. And it's incredibly effective. It's very well done. It seems to be very true to the narrative and, and kind of the time period. And it's overwhelming how they portray the calling of, of each of the disciples when, when their moment comes. And it's kind of clever how they show Jesus getting this person just in the right frame of mind, the right position. And he says, follow me. And they literally drop everything, right? As we know in the scriptures, they drop everything and follow him. We chose to do that, didn't we? We chose to do that. Now, we may... may think, well, we're grateful that he didn't actually say, I need you to live rough on the street with me for three years, three and a half years. So that's kind of nice. But that's also a challenge, isn't it? Because we tend to forget where our objective is. We have been chosen by the creator of the universe to follow him. And I know myself, I get a little distracted with Okay, how's my job going to be now with this crisis? I was, are we going to be able to have enough food? Are we going to be able to do all these things? There's lots of challenges and, and worries. Let not your heart be terrorized. You have been chosen. You have a place in the kingdom of God. We have been called to follow him. Through his strength in us, we will live the same life that he has lived and receive the same reward. What does it say in Isaiah 53? We just read this just a few weeks ago. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. He shall see his labor, the labor of his soul, and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many. But he bears their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. <clears throat> and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul until death and was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What we read here in Psalm 91 is part of that spoil. Part of that that reward, that inheritance that we will receive by walking and following him who has called us to follow him. So, back to Back to Psalm 91. He shall cover us with his feathers. Under his wings we will take refuge. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. And we won't be afraid of the terror by night. Nor of the the arrows that fly by day. Dropping down to verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. No evil shall befall you, befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. That's what it said earlier. What does that mean? We would like it to mean, for sure, we won't get any of this coronavirus thing, right? All right, Matt said it up on the pulpit. It's going to happen. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? What does that mean? Maybe it's about timing. Maybe it's about when this promise comes true. Or maybe it's about when we are in that kingdom. Maybe that's a future promise. I'll leave it up to you to decide. The psalmist continues and he says in verse 13, You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because He has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Verse 15 reflects powerfully, doesn't it, of what Jesus told us in John. In the world you will have trouble. More trouble than sometimes we realize. Who knew that this thing was going to come on the world the way it has. And lots of people have endured tremendous trouble. And lost family members. Friends. And so on. A lot of trouble. But he is in it with us. He says, I will be with him in trouble. In the trouble. And he will show us his salvation. What do you think that looks like? When God shows us his salvation. I mean didn't he already show us his salvation? Uh, Haven't we already been convicted? That Christ Jesus is our savior. Why would he show us his salvation? What does that really mean? I don't think it's a moment in time. I don't think it's reading the scripture and seeing in, through, through the, the scripture Jesus being crucified and then being resurrected. That, that is, of course, the basis of our salvation. But I wonder if he means that every moment of our life forever is his salvation. Because we will only have those moments will only experience that eternal life because of what he has done for us. So every moment of every day forever is his salvation working out in each one of us. Because without him we were dead. And now we live forever in Christ Jesus. Just as the Apostle Paul told us in 1 <laughs> Philippians 21 for me, or, for to me to live is Christ to live for Christ to to live the Christ life and to die is gain if I'm going to die that's the bonus that is the bonus who do we believe we believe God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son we believe the promises that they have given us promises that are for each one of us personally We each have our own place in the Father's house. This is who we believe. Now the question can be broadened a little bit. We've covered some of it, but but what do we believe? What else do we believe? And specifically right now. Well, one thing we know is that there is, and one thing that we believe Is that there's a countdown in place, isn't it? There is a countdown in place right now. Renee and I were talking about this this morning, and of course, we had to have Alexa play the final countdown. Anybody remember that song? I used to think that song was so cool. It really has one verse, and then they repeat the chorus over and over and over again. It's the final countdown. And I guess probably, you know, 80s, it was about nuclear war or something along those lines, who knows. But we, we played that. It wasn't as cool as I remembered it being. But then again, I'm not as cool as I thought I was when I was listening to it back then. But there is a countdown, isn't there? There's a countdown in place. But it's interesting that right now we actually have three countdowns. Can you tell, tell me one of them? One countdown? The Pentecost? That was easy. Number two? We're counting the days for this stuff to be over, aren't we? For this pandemic nonsense and all of this, right? We're counting down the days when we can get back to normal. When we can shake hands and give each other hugs. And social distancing is something we do on Facebook only. Right? We're in that countdown. And then the last countdown, surely you can get the last countdown. The return of Jesus Christ. I've got these clocks running. We should have three clocks up in the back of the wall. We're in these countdowns. So I have to admit, in times of crisis, <laughs> I'm kind of morbid, maybe a little weird. Um, You can ask my family this. It's one of the things they, one of many things I'm sure they have to put up with. For example, uh, was it last year? I think it was during a thunderstorm that had all kinds of tornado warnings and sirens going off. I insisted on playing the movie Twister. And my biggest concern was whether the power was going to go off and we couldn't watch it anymore. But I kind of like disaster movies. Anybody else like disaster movies? Yay, I'm not alone. And my wife thinks it's because I'm thinking in the back of my mind subconsciously, well, at least it's not that bad. <laughs> right? It could be worse. A couple of, couple of my more uh, recent favorite ones um, would be uh, Day After Tomorrow. Anybody remember that one? Day After Tomorrow. The whole world was falling into a new ice age and, and uh, you know, uh, there's a group in New York City. It's always New York City, isn't it? N- group in New York City are saved and so on and so forth. And then the other one is 2012. You remember 2012? Remember when the Aztecs said the world was going to end in 2012? And you had that movie. And the earth is changing its magnetic field and all that good stuff. Love those movies. Yes, I've watched those movies during the, the lockdown. I also remember another movie, not quite a, um, you know, disaster movie as much as, I mean, it was, but uh, it's kind of a space movie. You ever remember Independence Day? Independence Day. It was a pretty good movie, wasn't it? I couldn't get over the, the Fourth of July thing, Association, was, but I don't know. And so we had this Independence Day, and these aliens were using the Earth's satellite system against us, right? Communicating around the world... And what were they communicating? Not that big a fan of Independence Day. You just remember Will Smith punching the alien and saying, welcome to Earth. It was a countdown, right? It was a countdown. And Jeff Goldblum's character figured out there's a countdown coming. And then he's asked, well, what happens when it runs out? he dramatically looks at the TV screen and says, checkmate very dramatic. I think he does it better than I do. But there's a countdown and then the aliens attack. And then that's when it becomes a disaster movie. (laughs) The whole world is kind of destroyed. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody and I'm not saying that aliens are coming and using our satellites. Um, But in the Christian message there has always been a countdown, isn't there? I might not use the word countdown in the scripture, but there is a countdown. There's just, in in almost every epistle, in in every communication, in, in almost every lesson of the New Testament, there is a time is running out, folks. There is a countdown, and we need to be aware of it. Counting down to the day of the Lord, counting down to events in that path. But they didn't come up with this by themselves, oddly enough. Because as we know, the New Testament is in many ways a commentary on the old. And in Psalm ninety, we have a countdown. In Psalm ninety, it says, Lord, you have, starting in verse one, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction. And you say, "Return, O children of men! For a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it is past, and like the watch in the night." You carry them away like a flood, and they are at, like asleep. In the morning they are like grass, which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, by your wrath we are terrified. You have set your. Inc- Your iniquities, uh, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath; we vanish, and our years are like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength, they are eighty years; yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For as soon as it is cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear, for. For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Our time is a blink, isn't it? We all had this countdown that started at conception. It, it, It started when we only just started. And we have this countdown. And we have a very limited number of days ahead of us. How quickly it goes by. How quickly it goes by for nations and you know, all of our great monuments and our countries and our empires just fade into history and barely a day has passed for God. Oh yeah, yeah it was what, know, a couple of days ago the Roman Empire was around? Days. So teaches then, it says, to number or count our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What does that mean? What does that mean? And I know I've talked about this before. It's so powerful to me. Teach us to count our days. Number our days. So we can apply our hearts to wisdom. It's about experience, isn't it? It's about experience. And being aware of that experience. And not just floating through life. But recognizing the things that we have learned. Recognizing the life that God has brought us from and is leading us to. About, eh, maybe I made some bad choices and that was the outcome. So let's avoid that again. And, and learn from those mistakes with the guidance of wisdom. What is the source of that wisdom? Well, in Proverbs chapter 3, we have a really fascinating construct for trying to understand wisdom. It's very simple. And yet, so many people in in life, in the world around us, miss the simple lessons that are in this chapter. Verse one, he says, "My son, do not forget my law." You know, as I read this, I kind of have this image of—I was telling Renee earlier—of like a dad sitting down with his son. You know, probably a son that's past the teenage years, because the dad knows something again. But (laughs) don't worry. Teenagers, who get past that. Or, or a mother sitting down with their daughter, right, and, and explaining, hey, let me, let me give you some insights, because I'm not going to be here forever. And I want you to be wise and capable. And so he says, my son, do not forget my law. We could say, do not forget God's law. But let your heart keep the commandments. The length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Yes, they will. The older we get, the more we realize, isn't it? The older we get, the more we count our days, the more we realize that God's law gives us peace and long life. And then he also says, along with the law, along with God's commandments, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Be merciful and kind. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see the scripture so often, don't you? And little memes and, and bookmarks and calendars and so on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. You've realized how often in the scriptures, especially the New Testament, where the believers are instructed to pray. All the time. Why are we so bad at that? And now I'm not alone. We all struggle with remembering to pray. And it's one of the admonitions we get all the time from the scriptures. Pray without ceasing. Oh, if we could just do that. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That sounds good right now, doesn't it? Strength to our bones and health to our flesh. It's not saying we're going to live forever in these bodies. We know that there's a a past due date coming up for each one of us. But we can live as healthy and as strong as possible. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. And so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. What a promise. Put God first. Put God first in our tithing and in our choices in life. And he says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father uh, just as a a father, the son whom, in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. And here's an interesting turn in, in how he's presenting this. Almost like, alright, I see my son's eyes are glassing over right now. I'm trying to tell him these wisdom things. How can I make this more interesting? I know I'll describe wisdom as a beautiful woman. Because what young man won't pay attention to a beautiful woman? right? So I'm going to get his attention. And it's interesting, there's some imagery here that is later applied in Proverbs 31. And you'll, you'll pick up on that. It says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than profits of silver and, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than a ruby. Remember that? from Proverbs 31, who can find a a faithful woman. She's more precious, more precious than Ruby. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days in in her right hand and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. And she is the tree of life to those who take a hold of her and happy are all who retain her. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And that made me wonder, with all the myriad of medical advice and treatments and non-treatments and arguments and discussions on this pandemic, how much of this is confused by man's insistence that God did not create this world? And I wonder how much suffering and pain is impacted because of that and is made because of that because they're not looking at wisdom. And it's there for them to see in the natural world. I'm reading a book by Douglas Axe right now. Children who have grown up in atheistic homes, I don't know if you know this, but little kids, four or five year olds, have been found in surveys. Even though they've grown up in homes where God is rejected, when they see design in nature, say God made it. They have to actually be taught that he didn't. Because they just see the handiwork of the designer. It's natural. Wisdom says that we understand that he he established the heavens, this creation. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up, and the clouds dropped down the dew. Wisdom. This understanding is how he did this. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck, and then you will walk safely in the way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you... lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and it will keep your foot from being caught. Notice, trouble still comes. It still says, when trouble comes. So we're still going to have this trouble, but we will not be afraid of it we will not be in terror of it. For the Lord will be our confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good to those to whom that is due. And when it is in the power of your hands to do so, say to your neighbor, go and, you know, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you safely, or for safety's sake. We need this community, don't we? We need our neighbors. You know, and I've been a little frustrated with some of the rules that have come about and you've got to wear a mask and so on and so forth to go into different stores. And and I've been frustrated about some of that. I've not had a good attitude about it. I need to be kinder towards those that are concerned about that. I admit that. And I'm sorry for that. Wisdom says, you know what? Just accommodate people. Is it going to kill you? Do not strive with a man without a cause. If he has done you no harm. You know, just leave him alone. Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. You know, and it's, sometimes we might be tempted. Well, I wish I could be in charge. Well, I'd fix it. I'd let them know, those people know how to do things. What did it say earlier? Don't be wise in our own understanding. Choose none of the oppressor's ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. There's that secret word again, isn't it? The secret place and the secret counsel. And they take place in the heart. They take place when we commune with God, when we pray, when we remember to pray without ceasing. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of Of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful. But gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory. But shame shall be the legacy. Of fools. I don't want that. I don't want that legacy. So. This is wisdom. This is what we are to believe. This is just the. What. What. The glossary, no, not even the glossary, this is the preface, isn't it? Right, to all the laws and the instruction and the wisdom that we have in this book we call the Bible. This is what we can trust. This is what we can believe. When everything else is unbelievable, this is what we can believe. There is a countdown. We are in a countdown. We're in a countdown to Pentecost. We're looking forward to a new day of Pentecost. I want to ask you a question. When you think about the day of Pentecost, when when we read that scripture, which is in Acts chapter chapter 2, when we read about the day of Pentecost and Peter's uh, sermon on that day, do you remember what it said? It says, Peter, standing up, verse 14, with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose. Because has probably seen them drunk. He knows the difference. right? There's a rowdy bunch of fishermen over here. They're not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass that in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. The moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Was he wrong? Was Peter wrong? Because not everything that he said in here happened. Right? I'm not... It's not not a trick question. Was he wrong? Well, he wasn't wrong. Because for sure, we saw an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We we did see prophesying. We did see those elements of the, the, the pouring out of the Spirit and those miracles. He wasn't wrong. It was a type. The fullest manifestation of this has not happened. It's happened in type. It's happened in part, hasn't it? The Spirit was poured out. But what we are yet to see is the sun being turned into darkness and the moon into blood. We are yet to see the coming of that awesome and great day of the Lord. That is the countdown that we're looking forward to. That is the countdown to a future Pentecost, as it were. That is what we are counting to. It's plain for us to see. So who are we to believe? We are to believe God the Father and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we to believe? Their wisdom, their words, the law and the grace that they have given us. And we are to continue to count, to apply our hearts to wisdom. Because the fullest manifestation of the prophet Joel is out there, ready for us. And perhaps, maybe, in some future day of Pentecost, this is when it will really start to begin. And we can look forward to that, can't we? With all the scary stuff that might be around it, we can look forward to the coming of the awesome, Day of the Lord.